0: Oh, what's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the side hustle show because getting paid over and over again from work you do once is super rewarding. At least for me, it is. Uh, today's guest is a pro at that. He's been around online business since the nineties, made a ton of money, battled some really scary health issues. And today is one of the top bloggers in the world, earning a collective 6 million visits a month across his three separate sites. He's the founder of Rank IQ and host of the Blogging Millionaire podcast, Brandon Gailey. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Likewise. So I'm excited to learn from you in this episode. So stick around. We're going to talk about Brandon's proven processes for getting more traffic to your site so you can spend your time more effectively and go out and make some more money. But I kind of want to start with the elephant in the room. In the age of YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, Is blogging still a thing? Like you see people getting started, you know, today or, you know, within the last year or two and making a run at this?
1: Yeah, it seems like that question has been coming up for about uh, 15 years on a consistent (laughs) basis. Even when I started back in 2013, people were just like, aren't you a little late to to be a a blogger starting at this point? But I think if you look at the uh, growth in Mediavine, which is the top company for blogging advertisers, And in the past, they released this past year that they added 50 employees, which is about a 50% increase in their headcount. That shows you not only is blogging still a thing, but the amount of bloggers having success because to be in Mediavine, you have to have at least 50,000 monthly visitors or more. So there's a a lot of bloggers having success reaching that 50,000 visitor plateau because you can see that massive growth in Mediavine's headcount.
0: All right, that's fair. I would say that my language has shifted around blogging to more of like, well, let, let's build a helpful website or let's build a helpful resource on this specific topic. Because my original blog was nickloper.com and it was stories from vacation and you know, rants about current events. And it was it was very like me centric in a lot of ways. And there was some marketing and online business stuff because that's what I was doing for work. it wasn't around a consistent theme or a consistent topic or consistent niche. So do you, speaking of that, like what makes a good niche? Are there any niches you would avoid? Like how do you go about picking something if you're somewhat niche agnostic? Where it's like, I don't really care. You know, I'm not a particular expert in anything. So I'm just, I just want to build a site and start making some of that ad money.
1: I think the foundation is with looking at the keyword research. Because keywords is the, when it comes to, making money off of a website or a blog, it all comes down to keywords. And one aspect, if you're not getting organic traffic on SEO and you're testing out your niche, you're going to be buying some ads directly through Google. And by looking at the keywords, it's going to show you, number one, how many keywords are available in a specific niche? Is there a lot of runway there? And number two, is there a lot of competition? So you can have no competition and a small runway, meaning that once you write 20 or 30 posts, there's really nothing else to write about. That's when you niche down a little too far. So you want to make sure there's a broad enough niche to where you can have plenty of topics to go after. And at the same time, you're looking at the competition to make sure that it's just not completely saturated. So A lot of times uh, people will get a little focused on making money with affiliate programs. It's kind of a a low-hanging fruit that people think is a low-hanging fruit. But in actuality, it's more competitive because there's a limited amount of affiliate programs and everyone's trying to write the same type of post versus post or reviews and driving that traffic there. And even if you are somehow able to get a first page ranking, you're constantly being competed with and getting pushed down and having to redo things. So there's not a lot of growth there. So you want to look for niches that, as I said, lots of topics and not that much competition.
0: Does such a thing still exist? It seems like everything is so competitive these days. Or maybe I'll maybe I'll phrase it a different way. Like if you were starting a fourth site today, you know, on a random topic, like what would that? Okay, like where where would you start trying to narrow things down?
1: Well, first of all, you don't want to be the first person in a niche. You want competition to be there because that shows proven success. There's a revenue model. We can just look at the, uh, the most popular niche in blogging is food blogs and food bloggers make the most money out of any niche also because there's a lot of demand for advertising, which increases the RPM, which is the amount of money you make per thousand impressions. Now there are more food bloggers way more than than any other bloggers out there however the number of keywords in that niche are it's it's a massive amount and so even though there's there's all these food bloggers there there's still lots of words that people aren't getting around to when you just look at recipe keywords alone there are over 6 million recipe keywords and While there's a lot of people doing your typical chicken recipe or taco recipe, there's just 30 to 40% of the recipes that are very niche that very few people are doing. And the people that are doing it, they're not very advanced with the backlinks that they get. So it's actually really easy to start a food blog
0: if you target the keywords that no one's competing for. Like a very specific dietary restriction or a specific type of cooking, you mean? It's...
1: All you have to do is identify the keyword recipes. So there's, you don't have to be a keto-specific blog. You can just have a general food blog and just target the recipe keywords that are related to entrees, desserts, appetizers, and write posts on those, put up some photographs, and you're going to be able to rank and get
0: lots of traffic. Do you have an example of a niche that you would avoid for maybe not having a lot of topics to cover? Blogging. To
1: rank for blogging or SEO related terms, it's going to take you years just to get your backlinks high enough to be able to compete. But I, I see that the most when it comes to new bloggers that have like in the past, when I ran my course, they really wanted to write a blog about blogging and and they had a hard time shifting to something else because they believe that's how other people had, had made their money and that was the path of success. So stay away from blogging and, and marketing related topics because you're competing against GoDaddy and and major companies like SEM Rush that is has over one billion in market cap. It's insane how people want to do that thing that they heard over a podcast, but they they're just they're not willing to do a gardening blog or or just start cooking things or or an astronomy blog where there's no competition and you can instantly get results. And but that's what I would recommend.
0: All right. Is there a metric that you're looking at in terms of competition for a you know, a seed keyword or kind of like the broad topic where it's like, okay, if everybody on the first page of results for the first two page results is a Domain authority of X or higher, then I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. There's two ways to do look at keywords in the competitive landscape.
1: One is the hard way, one's the easy way. I'm going to give you a simplified version of the hard way. And step one, you're going to identify all the top blogs within that niche. Step two, you're going to go into those blogs and look at all the posts that they've written and one by one copy and paste to write down the different topics. That they've covered. Once you have that full list of topics, then you're going to run those words through your keyword tool. Now, sometimes with when you run a topic through a keyword tool, there might only be one or two words that you can turn into a post. Other times you might run something through and there might be a hundred different words that you can run into a post that you can turn into a post. So what you'll be left with at that point is your total list of keywords. That you can target. Sometimes that list can be thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds. Obviously, the the more you have on that list, the the better the situation you're going to have. Then you're going to go through that list and you're going to look at the first page of results for keywords. And obviously, if you have a list of thousands of words, you're going to be sampling it. The best thing to do is at least do a sample of 100 keywords and looking at the top 10 results and looking at those top 10 results you're going to look at who's ranking there and how high their domain authority is number 1 so domain authority is just a score from 0 to 100 the higher the domain authority means the better links you have and and the better chance you're going to have to rank for harder keywords on Google so every domain name has domain authority so you want to find your domain authority first so if your domain authority is 30 and the majority of The words that you look at the first page of results only have sites that are 50 domain authority or higher, you're not going to be able to rank for that. So you can quickly say, okay, this isn't a niche for me. Or if you're just starting out with a brand new blog, you're starting from zero, you're looking for blogs that are less than a domain authority 30 that are ranking in the first page to show that you have a chance of getting there within the first year after launching your website. Now, if there's a lot of Runway there in that 100 sample, then you, you've identified that there's a good niche there. And then you can expand your looking at 100 words to the rest of the list. And once you're done with that list, you also have basically your blog post planner of all the content that you're going to create in the future. Now that's the hard way. The easy way is the process that I created with rank IQ. And I created a new process because I had a online course where I taught bloggers and a big portion of that course was on keyword research. And no matter how many times I updated the video modules, trying to make them as simple as possible, there were still 50% of my students that threw in the towel and just said, the keyword tool is just too complicated to understand. So what I decided to do was create Rank IQ, where our team would identify the keywords that are low competition and high traffic within that niche. So that when a food blogger went on to rank IQ, they didn't have to go through 6 million recipe words one by one, looking at the first page results to try to find out which ones they could rank for. They're given a list of the 5,000 recipe keywords out of the 6 million that are low competition. And then all they have to do is pick a word and start writing takes away the hundred plus hours they have to do the keyword research and all the ways they can make mistakes in trying to find those words and also increases their hit rate with the majority of the blogs that they create they're creating it on keywords that they know they can rank for so the easy way when when identifying a niche you can go through sign up to rank IQ and then go through our dropdown and there's I think at this point we've done over 500 niche, 500 niches yeah, so yeah <laughs> You've got a ton in there. 95% of the people that sign up to Rank IQ, their niche is already covered, and then they can go in there. And then you have a portion of people that are are signing up that are just starting out and are looking to try to find what niche they should go into. And then they can look through those niches and quickly say, okay, well, this niche has 1,200 topics that I can write posts on. That's pretty strong. Or I looked at my niche and there's only 20. Maybe I should do something else. So the, the hard way, which is a way you can go, if, you, if you're an SEO, because the majority of the keyword tools are created for SEO experts and marketing executives. They don't, they're not making it for solopreneurs, side hustlers, or bloggers. And all the, their data, their language, it's very confusing and hard to figure out. But if you're an SEO expert, using one of those tools is the way to go. If you're not, you'd be better off using rank IQ and just choosing from the keywords we've already identified.
0: Yeah. Let, let the machines do the work for you versus trying to, um, just hunt and peck and hope you find some gold. just,
1: Just to be clear, we don't, the machines aren't doing, doing the work. The process starts off with me. I do that whole competitive landscape and those four steps and a lot of more detailed processes to identify all the keywords. Then it's passed down to two other people. Going and, and trimming that list down even further. And then the final list is run through all the algorithms and trims down the words to only the ones that we know for sure. have. There's very little competition when it comes to high domain authority sites. There's lots of pages that are ranking on the first page that have zero backlinks. And then, of course, we focus on the actual traffic that you can get. A lot of bloggers and and small businesses make the mistake of focusing on search volume because that's what the other tools put front and center when you do a search. It gives you the search volume, but search volume is only for one specific word and it's meant to be used for advertisers to know how many impressions you're going to get on Google Ads when you're advertising for that word. It has no bearing to how much traffic you're going to get for organic search because. When you rank for one word, most of the times you're ranking anywhere from 50 to 1,000 other words. And if you're basing your your decision, whether or not you're going to write a post and a keyword based upon its search volume, it's a bad metric. We were the first tool to, to show estimated visits that you can expect based upon if you get a first page ranking. And then Ahrefs also started doing it recently. And so there's only two tools out there. but. I think the shift's going to happen over the next couple of years and to where the very least search volume is not going to be the only thing showing up every time you do a search in a keyword tool.
0: Yeah, it's a much more practical metric you know, because of all those different variations that people type in. And I've found the same thing where, well, the search volume says only 3,000 people are searching for this month, but it gets 25,000 visits a month to this article on this topic. Well, how can that be because of all these different variations that you also end up ranking for by covering it from every angle. Absolutely. Still to come in this episode, Brandon's take on AI content writing tools, some quick win title tag optimizations that you can apply today, and how to set your site up to earn passive backlinks on autopilot. But first, let me take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. I remember my first paid freelance writing gig. I thought this was the coolest thing. 75 bucks to write this article. But then the editor emailed me to say, hey, send the invoice to this address so we can pay you. And at the bottom of her note, she recommended FreshBooks. That was 2014. And I want to say I've been a customer ever since. FreshBooks.com slash side hustle will let you start your 30-day free trial today. The feature I was after was the ability to fire up these professional-looking branded invoices in just a few clicks and get paid fast. But FreshBooks is much more than that. It's the award-winning all-in-one accounting solution that's built for side hustlers freelancers business owners like you freshbooks takes all of the not so fun parts of running a business like building and tracking invoices organizing expenses managing online payments and it automates and simplifies them in fact freshbooks users report saving up to 11 hours a week in the process that's a lot more time to move your business forward go ahead give freshbooks a try free for 30 days there's no credit card required Head on over to freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get more time back to build the business you love. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty the copy.ai's of the world, the Jarvises and the Jaspers and the Nichesses and the, you know, these AI writing tools that, you know, you give it a prompt and, you know, it spits out a paragraph. And from my limited experience with it, you're like, that's actually semi-decent. And, you know, there's some wordsmithing and rearranging that has to happen. But curious uh, if you use any of these tools, if you like where this is going, risks of these, what's your take on it?
1: Well, one thing that I've noticed, I've been doing SEO since before Google was around, and I was ranking number one on Yahoo back in the 1990s. But one thing that has happened over the years, all the things that are automated shortcuts when it comes to creating content have eventually been outlawed or have led to major losses. And that was my expectation when it came to Jarvis. And I, I tested it out, and I, I keep track of all all that and, and how it's getting a little bit better. But uh, this past month, Google came out and and said, if you use a AI content generation tool like Jarvis, you will be penalized at some point. And they said that is they do do not allow that. When Google says that, that's pretty much the end of the conversation. But I mean, it's common sense. I mean, when it comes to writing information a computer can only get so good at it and you have real people that are reading it i mean that'd be the same thing as having an ai start doing podcast interviews you take out that human element and it's just a little off and you want the human element at the end of the day now when it comes to ai content optimization that's leveraging computers and their brain power the right way. So rank IQ and other tools have AI where it gives you, where it does report and it analyzes the top 30 pages on Google to identify what Google is ranking highest and what topics need to be covered. So in that case, that's a good thing because you're given a list of the top 100 topics that Google likes the most for that specific keyword phrase. And then instead of you having to do the research through those top 30 pages one at a time, and I'm seeing what they cover and creating a list, you've got that list right there, and that that saves you two hours in the research, and then you use that list to create an outline. And then from the outline, you write the post. So AI can be leveraged for different things, especially when it comes to content generation, on the creating your outline and making sure you cover everything appropriately and you cover all the LSI words. But as for using Jarvis to write the content, The only thing that Jarvis is good for currently is for advertising and creating advertising language on landing pages, advertising for the actual ad scripts for Facebook and Google. That does a good job. But as I said, Google weighed in and said a big no. So do not use Jarvis or any other AI to generate AI content and start throwing it up and pumping out pages left and right.
0: Yes, tread tread carefully whenever there's a, a shot across the bow or a warning from from Google on any of that stuff. I've been kind of torn about this because you know I've used some of these tools in the past where, well, okay, you're going to write about you know ways to make extra money, and according to you know the top ten or twenty results, like these are the topics that your article needs to include. And I I get it, but it's also like, how do you add your own originality? To it where you want to, okay, I will mention these things or I'll mention a majority of these things, but I also want to include, well, you may not have thought of this, like something to set yourself apart from just trying to create something, you know, that's the same as already out there. Well, you're covering
1: the basics first. So if you're trying to compete for things to do in Houston, Texas, and that's your keyword, if you just went out and went around town on your own and and over a couple of months did all these different things and, and these were the things you did and it, you might have a list of 15 20 but if you use if even if you don't use the AI before AI was there you would need to go through and look at the first uh, 30 or 40 results in Google to see what other people are covering and you're going to be better off by taking what you know and the places you've visited if you're a travel blogger And then combining it with the other places that have been covered. Then adding your spin and your take on you're basically giving little mini reviews. The same thing would go for for me if I'm writing a an SEO tip post. When I'm sitting down to write it, if I don't do the research, I'm gonna probably forget about a lot of things that I should be covering. But if I do the research and I go and then I have a full list of everything I need to cover in that outline, but it makes sure I cover everything. Now, when I cover each of those topics, that's where my spin, and I'm I'm using my SEO expertise, and that's where your expertise comes in and can make where if you're competing with someone else that covered the same thing, and y'all both have at least 50 points, and everything's relatively the same, but if you have a little bit better expertise, and you're able to concisely give people what they want,
0: that's where you can do it a little bit better. And that conciseness is a little bit of a shift over the last year, maybe two years, where before it used to be this contest of who, who could create the longest post, right? You know, Here's 350 ways to do XYZ. And what I've seen lately is like, you no, know, nobody wants to read your 15,000 word post. It's like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. What we've seen instead is this shift toward a more curated approach. Like here are the 10 best or the 25 best things versus just uh, a total shotgun approach. Have you seen the same thing? Yes. It's really, it's
1: not about making sure you only do 10 as opposed to 50. It's about getting straight to the point so that the person coming into your post, once they click on it, they're getting the good stuff right away and they don't have to read through a
0: bunch of fluff. So well, let's talk about food bloggers and reading through fluff, making you scroll <laughs> 10 times to get to the actual recipe. That's something different,
1: but because they all are doing it together and it's almost like collectively we have, we need to do this to so that we make the most out of our advertising. Because what it was happening is people want to skip straight to the recipe card. And so they, they try to hook people in the beginning to read more information before they get to the recipe card so that they'll go through all the different advertisers that they have. And so like with right. Mediavine, you're getting paid for impressions. If And if they had like a a jump link at the top that skips to the recipe, they're going to lose 90% of their, their ad revenue. And that's why ad companies like Mediavine and AdThrive tell food bloggers do not have jump links because you're going to lose your advertising, which is how they make money also. But when it comes to... Your post, five, 10 years ago, people would just focus on word count and they would go on and on and, and really not get to the point that had this long introduction. So, right now, you want to have a short introduction. Sometimes, if it's a list post, you don't need more than one or two sentences and then get straight to that first one on the list and make sure if you're going to have 50 on a list, make sure your first five. Are your best stuff because that's how you're going to hook them. And then they're going to continue reading on over that. But if you try to just get a bunch of words and you've got this massive intro and you've got 50 different ones and they're all, in, and you might have three of the ones that should be at the end. It's not going to work. So get to the point, give them what they want because if you don't give them what they want fast enough, they're going to go back to Google and that's what's called pogo sticking. What Google wants is ideally to put pages out there that answer the question well enough to where once they go to your page, they don't go back to Google and continue clicking on other things in the search. And when you're concise and you have your best stuff right at the top and you you hook people in it, that's what's going to keep people from going back to look for more posts.
0: Are you paying attention to word count in your post versus what's already in the top 10?
1: Yes. I keep an eye on the word count. But the goal is for me to cover more points in the same amount of words that the other posts that are ranking on the first page are. And that once again, that that's that same philosophy of give them the good stuff, get rid of the fluff. That way you can do more in less time. And then they psychologically will get more value out of it. And if they're getting that instant value. And above the fold, and as they scroll down, or even if they scan through it, you're going to get them to stay on your post longer. It's going to make you more money from ads. You're going to have a higher average time on page, which Google likes and keeps track
0: of, and that'll move you up the rankings. Is that just a psychological thing, you think, from searchers where they see, well, here's 50, way, or 50 uh, things to do in Houston, Texas, but here's... 57 or 65 or something, but if you can cover it in the same word count, then it's still, it's still valuable, but like, oh, this one has more. So I'm going to click on that. Now there's a limit based upon
1: the different things that you're doing, but there's clearly when it comes to the click off of Google results, people tend to click on the higher numbers. So if, if you've got SEO tips, for example, if you've got a post that's 10 SEO tips, And then you've got 25 SEO tips. People are going to click on the one with 25 because they're just feeling like they're going to get more value. Now, when you click over to both of those, the one that's concise, it's going to hook them and keep them on the page longer. And that's going to be better overall. But step one is you got to get the click first. And that's your title and that's title optimization. And when it comes to a number, numbered led titles get clicked more than anything else. And typically the higher the number the higher the click through rate because psychologically people are like oh well if this one's 10 and this one's 50 then then that person probably did a better job and they're covering more things and i'd rather have 50 than 10 it's just psychological when it comes to click and so you have when you have people competing that's what usually happens you get to the first page and you've got 20 top seo tips 3 months later someone does Thirty and they outrank you and then you can do 40 and then you can outrank them and it's just this constant battle for, for numbers but whenever you are thinking about writing a post on a keyword you want to look at that first page of results and look at the titles and whatever the highest number is on that first page you want to try to go at least 10 more so psychologically 59 versus 50 doesn't really do much. But if the if the highest number is fifty and you do sixty, all of a sudden you've changed that front primary digit and cycle. And that's that's the same reason why billion dollar companies all over the world do buy this for four hundred and ninety nine dollars versus five hundred dollars because that change in that front digit makes a huge difference and makes a difference whether people are going to buy the product or not. The same thing goes with clicking. they you're basically trying to sell your product with your title. And by using that proven numbered strategy, you're going to have more people buy into clicking your title than not.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) I heard this a long time ago. I have no idea if there's any merit to it. I don't know if you have any data on this, but it was like odd numbers were preferable or were more clicked than even numbers. So if you have, you know, 16 tips for XYZ, it's like, uh, you might you better make it 15 or 17 instead.
1: Yes, there's, there was a study on that and actually it was 20% more clicked with odd numbers than even numbers. Now there are scenarios where that's not always the case and those would be numbers like 10, 50, and 100. So top 10, top 50, top 100, that would be a situation to where that's a good number to go for. But based upon the studies, for all the other numbers, you're better off adding one more and making your number odd versus even so that you can get that extra
0: click. This is all very helpful stuff. And I can't remember if I ended up going back through and updating this. I'll have to go check. But I had this big post on passive income ideas. And it was like, you know, 70-something passive income ideas. Or here's all these passive income streams that I have. And here's a bunch of other stuff. But at the top of the post, it was what is passive income? You know, what are the different types of passive income? Like there was this big preamble before I actually get into the list, what people were theoretically clicking for. And so if I haven't already, this conversation has inspired me to go back and rework that. So get to the point a little bit faster and then uh, you could shift that down to some FAQs or something down lower on the post or work it in some other way versus, I don't know, give the people what they want, give the people what they came for at the top of the post.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to titles, it's important to do those little things that that make a difference because those little things can make the difference between ranking number eight or number three and the number eight ranking gets 3% of the clicks and the number three ranking gets 18% of the clicks. That's a 600% traffic increase by doing some of these small things. Like there's two other small things that anyone should be aware of. One is when you're trailing the title with a, parentheses or brackets google now is is deleting most of the, the bracketed text where it is not deleting parentheses so if you're going to put something at the end of the title like for example the latest date so if you had 50 best seo tips for bloggers and then you want to show that it's up to date and you're you have parentheses 2022 you want to make sure you're using parentheses and not brackets because if you're reading a blog post about SEO tips from three or four years ago, they talk a lot about brackets. But bracketed text is being removed from titles, whereas the parentheses is not. And one other thing would be if you're going to make a break in your title, you should use a colon versus a hyphen. A hyphen is used 99.8% of the time to separate the website name from the title. So that's a psychological stop sign. So when someone sees the hyphen, they expect the title to end because that's what's been the case because you have 50 top SEO tips and then it's usually hyphen brandongailey.com. So if, if you hyphenate your title, they're going to stop reading when you get the hyphen. So you're better off doing a colon. So Colons instead of hyphens, parentheses instead of brackets.
0: Okay, good to know. Any other any other title tag hacks? These are great. Those are the ones I'd focus on. All right. Now, one thing that's interesting, on BrandonGaily.com is it's almost like a wall of text versus there just doesn't seem to be very many internal links, if any, there doesn't seem to be any external links, if any. And that's kind of in contrast to a lot of other content That I see ranking on the first page where, you know, we're citing our sources with external links. We're linking to relevant other articles that we have with internal links, but you're seeing great success with it. So I'm curious if you could speak to that.
1: So I do a lot of internal links, but the internal links that I place are usually at the 50% point of the post and down because I want them to, I want to pull them in and hook them with my content and get them going before I send them off to another post that I have. And so, at the fifty percent point, that's when I start strategically placing an internal link to get more information, maybe get them into something else. And also, at the fifty percent point, that's a lot of times where you will start losing some of your your readers and if you once they've got enough information, then they say, "Oh, here's something else, I'll click on that." So I put a couple between the fifty percent mark and the hundred percent, and then at the bottom, then I start focusing in on the internal linking strategy to keep them going so the goal is keep that post as concise as possible give them the good stuff i don't have any long conclusions if i have a list post once it gets to the end of that once it gets to number 50 and that's the last one then i'm trying to tease them on getting to the next article one thing that i uh Taught blo- food bloggers this uh, last couple of years was for their posts. They have all these recipe posts, for example. So, salmon recipe might be the main dish. Then I taught them to create a post, a list post on the side dishes to go with salmon. And then within the recipe post, right around that recipe card, they would have a list of the best side dishes for salmon. And they would give maybe the first three or five side dishes and then a link to that side dish article as a way to tease them in. So whenever you're writing a blog post, whether your food blog or anything else, at that end, instead of just giving them a link, if you create another section that kind of flows perfectly with that article and teases them on a list, like you kind of get that next blog post started, and give them the top three things, and then you have your internal link. Click here to see 17 more of SEO tips or 17 more side dishes.
0: When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor Indeed. It's simple. If you need the hire, you need Indeed. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business and Inside you'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. I, I was going to ask if you ever played around with any of the infinite scroll plugins that you see on a lot of, uh, especially news sites where you just, just keep scrolling. You're like, wait a minute, did that did that article just end? It's like, oh, they, they got me again.
1: I think that's more for Fortune 5,000 companies, news sites, news, newspapers, media sites. When it comes to to blogs, I'm more of focused on specifically trying to tailor that blog post. Now, when when you're doing infinite scroll, it's usually automatically either putting the most recent articles or something else in the category. So it's not as structured. Anything that's automated is not going to be as good at hooking that person to click on the next article.
0: Is that a common call to action for you at the bottom of the post, keep reading, go read this next post or this next logical post versus sign up for my email list, go buy my thing. just curious about that. You want to be
1: getting emails also. So it's, it's a combination of, of everything. And the same thing goes, it's, it all has to be tailored. A lot of bloggers make the mistake where they just have like, sign up to my newsletter and here it is, bang. When do you really need to be specifically trying to offer them some type of upgrade for their posts. And once again, you want to always put focus on those top 20% of your posts that are getting the majority of your traffic, whether it be for your internal links or custom email captures, custom content upgrades, get those taken care of first. And that's going to give, that's the whole 80-20 rule. And you're going to get the most of your results on those top 20% as opposed to trying to do it on everything. Last thing you want to do is write a brand new blog post and waste time putting a bunch of email captures in it and just get that post out there. Make the post as clean as possible because that's what Google wants. They don't, they don't want you to load up a post with affiliate links and email captures, pop ups, because during those first three to six months, they're testing out your post and see how, how the engagement is, how people are going back, how long they're staying on your site. And if you're pushing all this other stuff, you're not going to pass the test and you're never going to have a chance to rank. So keep your posts as clean as possible and then come back and then add your your email captures, email captures. The best practice is to use like a, a two click email capture as opposed to pushing pop-ups. And it comes across once again, as an internal link. And when they click it, then your pop-up will happen. And that way it's, it's not as intrusive as if you've got three or four different, uh, Email forms that are within your post or you have a timed pop-up that's coming up. Is there a tool that you like for that two-step pop-up? There's a lot out there. I think Convert Kit has a lot of native things there right now. And so I, I use Convert Kit, but lead pages is also good. But if you're using an all-in-one email marketing tool, I think Convert Kit
0: has you covered for your a lot of the email stuff. Okay. This is actually really Interesting. So is this a common practice for you? So first draft of the post, almost no affiliate links, no email capture, just like just content, just information, and then hopefully give that a chance to season and age in and you know climb the ranks. And then once it does start to get some traffic, go back through that and add in the affiliate stuff, the calls to action, the email captures.
1: Yes. There's two things that are gonna happen. It happens mostly with with new bloggers. They just when they write a post, they're like, okay, this is how I'm going to make money on this post. I'm going to put affiliates here. I'm going to link to Amazon here. I'm going to try to put as many ads as possible. I'm going to put a pop-up for my email. And they invest all this time in a piece of post that is that people want to just read the content. And they're, as I said, that first three to six months with Google, they're testing you out. You want to make it as clean as possible. Number two, what happens if that post never ranked or didn't get that much traffic anyways. You wasted all that time where you could have been writing a second or third post with that time. So write your content, focus on great content and serving the person that's going to read it. Let it prove itself. Once it's up there on Google and it's getting traffic, then come back to it and figure out, number one, your internal links. Number two, your email captures. And number three, affiliates. I mean, affiliates, it's an area where people think there's more opportunity than there's not. And it ends up basically torpedoing everything. I think when it comes to content, it's best that you make money off off of ads than affiliates. So, bloggers, number one, they want to get traffic, they want to get the traffic to 50,000. Sessions, because that's when you can join MediaVine. When you join MediaVine, you're instantly going to make between ten and thirty times more than AdSense or ezoic and, and other smaller properties like that. So get to fifty thousand, join MediaVine, make money on your ads, and with a, when a, with affiliates, save your affiliate links for an email sequence. Capture emails. You've got the email. You've got the relationship. And then once you have that email list, you can start testing out the different affiliates with different emails, whether you're welcome email or later on down the sequence. And when you find one that works, you keep it and then you add another. If you try pushing that affiliate link too fast, you're not going to get the affiliate sales. You're going to keep them from giving you their email and you can very well keep yourself from getting a a first page ranking in Google.
0: Very interesting stuff. I may have to make some changes to some of the processes. I want to be, like, once I get published, I want to be done with it. And I know that's not realistic, because I do spend a lot of time going back in and updating old content. But it's like, I don't want to think about it. I guess this kind of frees you up to do that. I don't want to think about this for six months. I don't want to see this until I see it pop up on the analytics that it's getting traffic. And then, okay, I, I, that was one of these that I need to go back in and and put the finishing touches on now that it has some traction. So that's actually really Interesting and worth exploring for new content. And it sounds like MediaVine. This is the main monetization for you across the three sites. MediaVine's step one.
1: Now, obviously, I had an online course, which was part of the monetization process, and then now I have rank IQ, which is a SEO SaaS. So there's when I I did an income study for bloggers, and what happened was. All of the bloggers making at least $25,000 a month made at least 80% of their income from having their own product or online course. So at some point, you want to transition into having your own thing that you can sell to your visitors and your list. So your blog is a funnel to get traffic. And you on that initial funnel, it's real easy to to have mediavine running and make make good amount of money from that. The next step is to get the emails and then you're building your email list. Once you have that email list, you can start sending them the affiliate links. Over time, if one of your affiliates is making a lot of money, then you can think about making your own version of that product and replacing that or having an online course that you will go to your email. Now in the zero to twenty-five thousand or I think it was seven thousand five hundred dollars a month to twenty-five thousand dollars a month are forty percent of these bloggers got their income from ads and thirty percent from affiliates. But making that jump to twenty-five thousand plus, as I said, these bloggers are all at some point getting their own product or their online course to sell to the emails that they captured from their blog funnel.
0: Yeah, this sounds strikingly familiar to Rosemarie Groner's process. You know Rosemarie from BusyBudgeter.com? Yes. This was her journey in a nutshell, right? Collect a bunch of traffic, in her case from Pinterest, not from Google, but monetize with ads, collect emails, run people through affiliate sequences, and now create her own products. And in the businesses, you know, it just blew up. So very much following this framework. On the ad side... Is there a typical? Is there, I mean, it probably varies by niche, similar to you know YouTube ads and stuff. But is there a typical RPM, or revenue per thousand page views, or something that people could reasonably expect?
1: Most people are going to be in that ten to thirty dollar range. The highest RPMs are, are food blogs, and primarily because AdThrive and, and MediaVine, the majority of their their bloggers are food bloggers, so they they spend a little bit more time getting specific ad deals with advertisers that just want to do food blogs. But for everyone other than a food blog, it's usually going to be in the the ten to twenty dollar range. And then your your food blogs will be closer to the thirty dollar RPM.
0: Okay. So if I'm doing math correctly, this is like one to three cents per page view. And so it becomes this game of ROI. Well, how long is it going to take me to create this article or how much is it going to cost for me to hire a writer to create this article? What's my break-even point in terms of how you have uh, page views in terms of you know what that's going to be worth in terms of traffic and lather, rinse, repeat and reinvesting what you make. Do you do a lot of, I mean, are you doing a lot of the writing yourself or is it, you have a team at this point cranking out content for you?
1: The first several years I did all the writing and updating the post and continued to update the post for even many years after that. Now at this point, as we've I've become mature, and and we're making over seven figures in ad income alone. We have an, enough resources to have support. So right now, my wife is the editor of the blogs, and okay, I identify the keywords in the post planner using the same thing that Rank IQ uses. Then I pass it on to my wife, and then my wife runs that. An AI SEO report, which is the AI content report through Rank IQ. And then she structures the outline and any additional information or maybe give, they might, she might give them a couple of, of examples of, of sites of the formatting they did and then hands it over to the writer. And then the writer turns it back to her for the first draft. She makes suggestions, turns it back to the writer. Final draft comes to her. And she runs it through the content optimization and rank IQ and gets the, the content grade to an A, pushes it over to WordPress, adds the formatting, adds the images, and publishes it. That's the current process. Whenever we look for writers, we're we're looking for specific people that have expertise. So for example, I have a Christian blog and I enjoyed writing posts there, but I would serve my audience better by identifying pastors that are excellent at uh, explaining verses of the Bible. And so we hire pastors to do the writing for us. And then they're just doing the writing. They're not going into WordPress. They're not trying to find images. We, We give them the outline and say, Hey, be the expert, write the content. And then we clean it up and turn it into a blog post and publish it. So if you're going to outsource, best way to do it is with Upwork, but, as I, I recommend for anyone that isn't making six figures a year, do it yourself. Because if you don't do it yourself, you will never be the expert and you won't be able to manage other people. So in all our blogs, I wrote blog posts to begin with. I don't just yeah. say, okay, here's a new blog. I'm going to find someone else to do it for me. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to make money with your side hustle, whether it's blogging or selling something, You've got to grind, you've got to become the expert, you've got to know your niche upside and down before you decide at some point three years from now when you're making six figures or seven figures, then you can hire people on. But it starts
0: with you for those first couple of years. Is there a publishing schedule that you try to adhere to? Like every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's a new post coming out? When I got
1: started, I made a commitment to do at least one post a day. If you're going to make a difference, because it's it's a residual effect. It takes, for the moment you publish a blog post or a piece of content, even if you're going after a low competition keyword, it's going to take anywhere from two to six months for that post to reach its peak ranking. So if you're doing one per week, it's going to take you a while to get to the point to where you have enough traffic to, to make any kind of income from it. So that first year, go after it hard. Make a commitment to doing one post a day, because the difference between one post a day and one post a week is 700%. You will make 700% more posts. And at the end of the day, as long as you're choosing low competition keywords, this is mathematical. You do seven times the keywords, you're going to get seven times the traffic, seven times the income, and seven times everything.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're going to do it, do it and create this topical authority, build out this body of work, for people to come and find you, it's kind of casting this wide net in a way where I got to put out some different lines, and hopefully some of those start to take and start to catch, and people come by. And now I can work on the email capture and the monetization and the internal links, all this other, uh, all these other pieces of it. So I think that's really helpful. Is there such thing as like a typical day in the life of, of Brandon today, or maybe a week in the life if we zoom out a little bit to allocate time across these different properties and the IQ software business? Well,
1: I want to speak directly to your audience first. Now, where I am, I started in 2013, so I'm approaching the 10 year mark for my blog. So I've had a lot of success and there's been a lot of shifting. When you start out with blogging, whether you're blogging, trying to sell affiliates or a product, blogging is always going to be part of any business or side hustle that you have because it's a great way to get traffic. And once you get the traffic, it stays there. You're going after low competition keywords and you make 100 posts and they get rankings. There aren't going to be many people out ranking you. And so you're going to be able to build upon that traffic. During that first year, I recommend doing 40% creating content, 30% building backlinks. And if you're not going to use Rank IQ and do the keyword research yourself, do 30% on keyword research. If you use Rank IQ, then 70% content 30% backlinks you need the backlinks a lot of times bloggers just forget to do the backlinks or they just think it's too hard and then they have all this great content but no one's linking to them and the domain authority is too low to be competing so invest that 30% in backlinks as for my day to day right now i wear a lot of hats i mean that's there's no, there's no way around that i'm putting a lot of effort into building Making the rank IQ product better. So I, I work with a development team that's that's remote and I meet with them a couple of times a week, but I'm also reviewing other products and coming up with my own things that I want them to create on their own and managing them. And then I put a lot of effort into my podcast, The Blogging Millionaire. Once I stopped selling my course and closed my course down, I decided to just let my podcast be my course. So my podcast is just basically 10 to 20 minute teaching episodes over different SEO tactics that used to be in my paid course.
0: You mentioned one of the maybe most dreaded words of any blogger and that was building backlinks. But curious if you have any, you know, the the 80, 20 of backlink building for new bloggers.
1: When it comes to backlinks, there's two types of backlinks when you're building active versus 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 passive. Active is when you are, have to do something to get that link in return. Passive is when you put something out there and you continually to, to get get links from it. So if, when it comes to passive, you've got stats posts and low competition keywords. We talked about low competition keywords and how important that is. Ahrefs did a study that, that basically said any post that is ranking in the top one position is going to, on average, get 20 to to 40 referring domain backlinks, so different websites. They find your low competition keyword post that you're ranking for, and because it's number one, they're going to link to it in their post when they're looking to find more, when they're researching a topic, just because it's number one. So we already have covered low competition. The next for passive is statistics post. So whatever your niche is, you want to identify every type of statistic or trend that people are searching for because reporters and blog writers, whenever they write a post, one of the things that they consistently do before publishing it, they have to find a couple of statistics. And what they do is they go to Google and they type in blank statistics. And if you can get your post to rank on that first page, that is going to generate backlinks forever. When I started out blogging, I was doing sixty percent low competition, forty percent pillar post and high competition. Then I shifted to ninety percent once I saw that all the low competition keywords were getting ninety-eight percent of my traffic, and the rest of the ten percent was on statistics post. And those statistics posts, I just I covered every possible statistics post that I could cover, and they just started generating a crazy amount of backlinks. And I bought my domain name from scratch being a zero domain authority and it's almost an 80 domain authority now and yeah these statistics posts that i wrote and some of them are evergreen some of them get updated but they continue to just pull this in so take your time to identify you've got a you've got a dog site or a dog product you can write anything about statistics on different breeds to dog biting statistics. Everything that you can think of, dog ownership stats, and cover those the same way that you that you'd go after a, a post. And when I talked about that that high, when we talked about titles and the number leading title, that's the most important thing about a statistics post. You want to have that highest number. So if the highest number is twenty five, a dog breed statistics on the first page of Google, go thirty five, because reporters just like everybody else they're going to click on the one with the highest number because they're going to think okay this one has the most statistics that I can easily scan and I'm going to be able to find one that works the best
0: yeah this is probably the one that I want to go to now I've definitely seen the the benefit of doing that firsthand with you know I think I have a post called side hustle statistics and you know last updated 2021 2022 or something and some of that comes from my own audience survey data. You know, every year send out an email. What are you working on? How much you're making? How much time you spending on this. Kind of like general questions like that, but also pulling in, you know, other sources and, and linking out to them too. Like, well, here's where I grabbed this statistic from the hustle or from Zapier or from wherever. But that post generates almost daily, you know, new high authority backlinks. And it's, you know, it just sits there. Like you said, it's totally passive. And yeah, you gotta go in and update it every year, every year or two. But it's yeah, it's, it's definitely something I stumbled into right by, by accident when I you know, first published the survey results and other people were linking to it. Like, oh, okay. And then it hits you over the head enough times. You're like, oh, okay, maybe we ought to really optimize this thing.
1: Yeah, they're, they're golden. That's a beautiful thing about blogging is when you create these posts, whether it be to get traffic or to get links, once you nail one, they just keep paying you money, getting traffic and getting you backlinks forever. Whereas most other things in business, you push it out, And you get whatever you get in return, like for advertising. And then it's over and you start from zero again. Now, the other area is active backlink building. And the two that are best that I've seen are podcast interviews and Harrow. And active backlink building is something that you have to do during that first year of your website. And because you need some good backlinks to, to build that basic domain authority. And while you're doing... active backlink building you're making your stats post some of the times those stats posts aren't going to pay off till a year down the road so you start with your active and once your passive gets going then you can scale back from your active but with podcast interviews just like what i'm doing right now go to apple podcast apple podcast is everything broken down by category whatever niche that you're in find that category and then see and then apple will list the top 200 podcasters in that category. And then you make a list. A lot of them just give their email or they have a contact form. And then one by one, you pitch them. And there's nothing from an active backlink perspective nothing is easier than getting on a podcast and just being interviewed and talking and then getting a link back through the show notes episode
0: back to your blog. So much easier to spend half an hour talking about whatever you already know about than to spend hours and hours writing a 3,000 word guest post and having it be rejected a bunch of times. I mean, there's still this outreach process. And if you're new to being interviewed, you know, start toward the bottom of that top 200 list. Like don't go for the the top five shows. You want to have a few reps under your belt, I think. But uh, I love that strategy. There's also uh, podcastguests.com, which is Andrew Alleman's directory where you can sign up and you'll get an email every day with, you know, here are some featured experts that want to be interviewed, and here are some shows that are looking for guests. And it's something that I make a point to try and scroll through a couple times a week and say, like, oh, is there anybody relevant to, to talk to here or say, hey, this might be a good fit. So I love both of those. So thanks for sharing that. But Brandon, this has been awesome. You've got the Blogging Millionaire podcast. You've got Rank IQ. Any other projects you're excited about this year?
1: No, I'm putting all my efforts in those two and continuing to make the the podcast better, making new content and continuing to build out the the product features on rank IQ and just just making everything better and and adding more keywords to rank IQ to help our users have more to choose from.
0: Well very good. It's rankIQ.com and brandongailey.com. We'll link up the podcast as well in the show notes. For this episode, get Brandon those high authority backlinks. Hopefully, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: As you develop your side hustle, whatever business that you go in, keep an eye out for something that is being unfulfilled for a specific target audience. So, my first side hustle was a blog. I had an online marketing company, which basically was me and two employees. And I My clients wanted to talk to me all the time. I was miserable, and I knew that if if something happened to my health, that I would go down to zero, and that's what led me going into blogging. As I started getting into blogging, I added another side hustle, which was an online course. But as I had that online course, as I talked about earlier, I saw that I couldn't teach people how to do keyword research because the tools were just too complicated for them. and. The SEO experts were getting it down, but the bloggers and the the solopreneurs were just giving up. And I saw this market that no one else cared about from the keyword research business and wasn't being fulfilled. So I decided to create a whole new version of keyword research that was tailored for this tiny little segment, which is really big, but tiny compared to what's the other companies you're going after, they want the, the big companies, the Fortune 5,000 companies. There's always going to be something there, and it doesn't have to be the biggest, most popular thing. If it's something small, I mean, you, you have 1,000, a, a 2,000 people, and that's it, that pay you $100 a month, that's a big business. And that's a lifestyle business that could change your life and, and free you from whatever you're trying to get freed from. So always keep an eye out for those opportunities.
0: Absolutely, keep an eye out for that unfulfilled need as you become really embedded in the community that you're trying to serve. These ideas are going to come up to you. I mean, we talk about it almost every week how opportunities become visible once you're in motion. I think rank i q is a perfect example of that, so Brandon, really appreciate you joining me. Love all of the tactics and the nitty gritty like from the title tags to the content structure and the you know letting something season in uh, Google before you go back and really try and hammer home the uh, uh, calls to action and monetization stuff. I've definitely got some homework as a result of this episode. I mean, big takeaway for me just, you know, it started to, would've, that would have shortcutted my uh, learning curve a little bit. Doing your homework first, like setting yourself up for success, creating content that people, number one, are actually looking for. And number two, that you have a chance of actually getting discovered for. It's, um, I don't know, It's it seems common sense today, but it definitely wasn't in 2009 when I first started my personal blog. It definitely wasn't even in 2013 when I started the Side Hustle Nation site. So big thanks to Brandon for sharing his insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Go ahead, start yourself a free trial of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for side hustlers everywhere at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Is there a more dreaded question than what's for dinner? Meal planning and eating well to hit your nutrition goals doesn't have to be complicated. Our sponsor, Factor, makes it easy by sending delicious, ready to eat, chef crafted, dietitian approved meals right to your door. Every week, you've got over 35 different menu options to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie options, and more. Some personal favorites of ours so far have been the garlic mushroom chicken thighs and the Indian butter tofu. These are restaurant-quality meals ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. It's the perfect easy button solution for busy side hustlers and couples. And it's not just dinner either. Factor has nutrient-packed snacks, smoothies, breakfasts, and more. And hey, plans change, which is why you can scale up or down your meals or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to Factormeals.com slash SideHustle50 and use code SideHustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code SideHustle50 at Factormeals.com slash SideHustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Big thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show.